I want to invite you to uh, take your Bibles today and turn to uh, the book of Galatians. It's page uh, 972, I think, in the Bibles there in the seats. If you were with us uh, last week, you remember that um, we pointed out the fact that God has provided for us two advocates, two counselors, if you will, two lawyers almost uh, is the real meaning of that word, two helpers, and uh, who, first of all, Jesus is our first advocate, our first counselor who represents us before God. He goes before God on our behalf, almost like if you will think of it as a counselor or a lawyer, and uh, he wins the victory for us. He wins an acquittal for us before our Heavenly Father. He accomplishes this um, uh, acquittal on the cross, and it's, it's so significant, it's so rich, it's so powerful, it's so transformational Uh, that um, in Ephesians, um, if you just go a little bit forward from uh, Galatians, the next book in the Bible is Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul is almost ecstatic about what the uh, good news of the acquittal before God has accomplished for us. And so he says in the third verse of the first chapter of Ephesians, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, listen, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every single blessing that God has to offer is ours in Christ. I mean, it's like such a mind-blowing transition that's happened that Christ has won for us. Um, And if you go down to like verses 7 and 8, Paul talks, uh, he, he elaborates on this, and he says, you know, in Christ, we have this redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How rich is God? According to the riches of the grace of God, we have this great you know, salvation in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God lavishes this love upon us, this richness. this you know, uh, And then you go down a little bit further to uh, verse 18. And um, Paul goes on, you know, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you can know what is the hope to which he's called you. We have a future. The gospel is pregnant with hope. It's pregnant with eternal life. Like this life is just a prelude to the life that's to come that God is preparing for us and so on and so forth. And uh, goes on to talk about, you know, uh, how we need to be enlightened in our hearts so that we can grab a hold of this hope that God has called us to. Uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Like you can't begin to comprehend all that's come to us as a result of what Jesus won for us on the cross before God. And Paul just like he's outside of himself, just kind of, you know, and uh, all because of the gospel, because of the good news, because of this acquittal that Jesus has accomplished for us, our advocate, our counselor, and so forth. And because of all of this, because it's so great, because it's so transformational, because it so touches on every aspect of our life, God gives us a second advocate, a second counselor, who then comes and takes this wonderful salvation and helps us apply it to our lives. Helps us understand the implications of who we are in Christ and what the gospel has actually accomplished so that we can begin to live in the fullness of what Christ won for us. Now, Jesus, when he was here, he says, you know, it's to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I'll send this second advocate, the Holy Spirit. 
And that second advocate will take what I've done and take what I've said and bring it home to your hearts and help you to understand and help you to live in the freedom uh, that Christ created for us before God through the gospel, through the good news, to apply this good news to our uh, personal lives. And so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is given to us as this second advocate, and he exhorts us, he begs us, he prods us, he bugs us, he has that still small voice that's always prodding us to take what's ours and apply it and live in it and enjoy it uh, as we're living out our lives on this earth, uh, bringing into our hearts that which Jesus actually accomplished. And so, uh, again, Jesus says, you know, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send the second counselor, this very spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He's going to get inside of your spirit, inside of your heart, and from the inside, he's going to convince you that all of these things that Christ won for you uh, and that all of the good news of the gospel is really true, and you're going to be able to increasingly apply it uh, to your life and live in the freedom of it. He will help you live out the implications of the gospel. So the gospel is really like really great news from God. It's good news. It's what, it, what's, it's what makes Christianity different from every other religion and every other worldview that's in existence. In every other religion, if you want to find God, if you want to improve your life, if you want to find peace and find meaning, you have to do something. In every other religion, you have to do something. You have to try harder. You have to follow some list of rules. You have to gather together all your strength. Uh, you have to free up your mind or you have to exercise your reason or, 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 or. And Christianity is the exact opposite the message from God is no. The good news is that God comes to you in the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot get to God on your own. You can't find God. You can't muster enough goodness. You can't muster enough reason. You can't not muster enough truth to be able to find God on your own. But the good news is that God has come to us and qualified us to be reconciled to God, to live in a relationship with God. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's the good news of the gospel. God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He goes before God in our place. He wins God's approval. He wins God's acceptance. He wins God's love for us. He wins uh, forgiveness for us. And so the gospel, the good news from God, is so radically different. It's so unique. It's so pure and precious, that what happened in New Testament times and is still happening today on a regular basis is that wherever the gospel goes, it's so pure and it's so precious and it's so transformational, so life-changing, that it immediately attracts pollutants and infections and bugs. Immediately. Um, Recently, I had to be in the hospital for a little while. I have a new heart valve, and I had a real high temperature. And uh, they explained to me, they said, listen, uh, whenever there's an infection, it always goes to whatever's foreign in your body, and your new valve is foreign. You know, like if you get a splinter, what happens? It gets all red around it, it hurts, because the infection goes to the foreign part of your body, right? And so, you know, one of the things I had to do was swallow a camera, and they take a picture of that valve from inside your esophagus, from the backside of your heart, right? I'm like, wow, this should be fun, 
right? And the cardiologist is like, we just want to make sure there's no broccoli growing on your new valve. And he said, you know, that's what it looks like, broccoli, when infection gets on that valve. Because if it gets there, then it'll spread all over the place and so on and so forth. And so I think the gospel is so pure and so foreign to all the ways of our human thinking that as soon as the gospel gets into your life, it attracts bugs, infection, pollutants. Everybody's always wanting to add something or take something away from the pure gospel as it's presented in the scriptures. And people are always trying to add. In, in Jesus' day, it was the Jewish people, you know, uh, who first accepted the gospel. And uh, they, oh, this is great, you know, and uh, we'll trust Jesus and his work on the cross and so on. And then some Gentile people started to believe, and the Jewish people said, oh, in addition to Jesus, you've got to keep our rules. We're the, we're the chosen people. We're God's people. We know God, and you've got to keep our traditions, and you've got to eat our food, and you've got to dress like we dress, and you've got to do the rituals that we do, and you've got to get circumcised, and then God will accept you. And right away, the gospel gets polluted. And the Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians, just goes nuts about people who are trying to pollute the gospel. Because if you lose the gospel, you lose the only connection that God offers us to be reconciled with him. And uh, when you change the gospel, you lose the gospel. And so wherever the gospel goes, the tendency is somebody's always want to add, somebody's always want to take something away from the pure message of the gospel from God. It gets distorted. It gets bent into something that people are more comfortable with or that's more palatable to people or that's more like us or that's more controllable from our side. The gospel is 100% dependent on God and not us. And most people don't like that. Because we have no control. God has all the control. God provides a way for us to be reconciled, but it's 100% of him and not of us. And so the gospel then gets distorted. And because the gospel is so different from anything in existence, so unique, so holy, so much all of God alone, it's counterintuitive. And so I want to invite you to uh, look at this book of Galatians with me, short little book in the Bible. Um, and page 972. And the book of Galatians is about defending the uniqueness of the gospel. I'm so glad it's in the Bible. It's like a whole book of the Bible that's designed to defend the uniqueness of the gospel and to keep it from getting uh, polluted because the gospel is precious. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's the, the, the gospel is the power of God, Romans chapter 1, for our salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, Romans 1.16. Uh, the, the, the gospel is a promise that God makes that he will accept the blood of Jesus on our behalf if we'll simply put our trust in the person of Jesus. It's the greatest promise. It's the promise of our salvation. And so the gospel, you know, affects every area of our life. The gospel is the way that God changes us. Uh, it's God's unmerited, undeserved favor toward us through Christ's death and resurrection in our place. In Acts chapter 20, it's called the gospel of the grace of God. It's all of God. Grace is undeserved favor. It's what God has done for us that we could never uh, do for ourselves. And so in Galatians, uh, Paul is like absolutely ballistic about attempts to mess with the gospel, the pure gospel. Uh, Galatians, all about the gospel. And you'll notice in, in Galatians uh, chapter 1, uh, the apostle Paul is, he's surprised and he's angry. 
that people who have grabbed a hold of the gospel should so easily give it up to something that's not the gospel at all and could be so easily influenced by other people because they're not secure in the fullness of the gospel and in the uniqueness of the gospel. And so Paul, he's just like, he writes this letter with this huge sense of urgency, you know. Usually when Paul writes a letter to Philippians, uh, to Colossians, even to the uh, Corinthian people who were bad news, you know, he always starts out and greets them and then he has some kind of praise for them or some kind of compliment and so forth. And he writes, you know, a few sentences, but not here in Galatians. He's like jumps right into the issue. He's like, greetings, what's wrong with you people? You know, and he's just like ballistic. He's just, and he writes this with his own hand, he says at the end of Galatians. He's writing it himself. He's not writing it through somebody else and, and so on and so forth. And so in the very first verse, he says, Paul, an apostle, look, not from men, not through men. I didn't get this message of the gospel from other people. I didn't go to all the other disciples and say, let's take a vote on what the gospel message is. He's like defending himself. I'm an apostle. I've been appointed by God to deliver this message. And if you remember Paul's story and how on the road to Damascus, Jesus met him and how he was converted. And, you know, Paul was the ultimate Jew. He was doing everything Jewish. And so it's interesting that he writes this letter. But he says, an apostle, not from men, not through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's like establishing his authority. I'm saying this on behalf of God. You know, and... uh, and then he says, you know, who raised Jesus from the dead and, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. And then in verses 3 to 5, he sort of summarizes the gospel. He just, he gets right to it. It's like he's giving a, a hint as to what he's going to be talking about here. And he says, you know, uh, grace to you and peace from our God, uh, from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, uh, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's like a a little snippet of what the gospel's all about. And it's like he's laying it out. He's like, don't forget, this is what I was all about. And this is what you believed. And this is, you know, where we started together and so on and so forth. And then listen to Paul. I'm just going to take you, if you, you just follow along here. Listen to Paul talk like this. I don't know if you uh, have read Galatians lately, but look what he says in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished. I'm blown away, Paul says. I'm really ticked is really what he's saying. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. How could you, you know, find this salvation, find this gospel, hear this message from God, embrace it, and then allow some other people to take you off track? Paul's like, what's wrong with you? I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him. Notice, it's not just the message, but if you lose the message, you lose Christ. He says, you're deserting him who called you. You're deserting God. The gospel and God go together. And I'm so astonished that you're deserting God um, who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. It's always been true, right from Paul's day all the way to our day. They want to distort the pure gospel of Christ. But even, and look at what Paul says, even if we, the apostles, even if I, Paul, came to you, or an angel came from heaven and had a different message, right? He says, um, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be cursed, 
I don't care who it is. I don't care how spectacular your experience is. I don't care if you woke up in the middle of the night and thought you saw an angel and they've got a different message for you, which is, by the way, all the cults, all the things that we call cults, you know, they're just a little off from Christianity, kind of take uh, what they like of Christianity and then add to it. All the cults are like this. They've had some experience. Some angel came down and gave them some new revelation and yada, yada, and the whole cult is based on that. He says, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be cursed. Let him be cursed. Skip over to chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, you foolish Galatians, Paul. <laughs> you idiots. You knuckleheads. He's like, you know, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Who's deceived you? Who, who got into your head, into your heart? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish to think that having begun by the Spirit, you are now going to be perfected by the flesh? Are you so foolish as to think you know, that you can take this wonderful gift from God and then improve on it by your own efforts. And Paul's like, look at this, uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He's talking to the Jewish people here. And that was a big deal to be, you know, related to Abraham. And look what he says. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham. Abraham we, we meet in Genesis chapter 12, way back in the beginning of Genesis, 6,000 years ago. God goes to Abraham and makes this wonderful promise to him and, and so on. And look how Paul interprets. He says, you know, God knew that the Gentiles, you and I, non-Jewish people, would be justified before God by faith through what Christ did on the cross, right? That's the good news of the gospel. And so Paul says the Gentiles, and, and God went and preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. People have always related to God through the gospel, all the way since Abraham. And uh, saying to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Right? Uh, keep going um, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God... You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. If you try to witness to non-Christian people, people who are far from God, and you try to talk to them, and you get to know kind of what they're about and what their life is all about, you'll discover that they are enslaved to something that's not God. You know, and that everybody worships something to make their life work. And Paul says, you know, before you got to know the truth, before you came to know God in Christ, you were enslaved to those who are by nature not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, listen, relationships are all about knowing and being known. Would you agree? A good friendship, in a good friendship, you are known, you know, and you know the other person. And in a relationship with God, it's all about knowing God 
and God knowing you. One of the greatest things about the gospel is that we are fully known and fully loved at the same time because of what Jesus, our first advocate, accomplished for us before God. Um, fully known and fully loved. And, and so um, he says, um, um, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, both of those are true, You've getting, you're getting to know God and God knows you, um, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You are allowing yourselves to be subjected to the wishes of these Jewish people who are enslaving you to their traditions, to their rituals, to their festivities, to their way of thinking. When Christ won a freedom for you, and you're thinking that by keeping these things, you can add something to the gospel, and what you don't understand is that when you try to add something, you destroy it. Okay? And then uh, go over here to uh, chapter 5. And uh, again, Paul is just like, you know, look what he says. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Wow. If you... Add, try to add something to the gospel, the whole thing is negated. That's what Paul's saying. If you try, if you think that in addition to what Christ has done for you, what God has provided for you in the gospel, uh, you can contribute to it, you can bring something to the table yourself, you'll destroy it. And so look what he goes on. He says, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is then obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ if you would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, from undeserved favor, and you're trying to deserve the favor of God. You have ruined the gospel. Serious charges, Paul says. And then he says, uh, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, which expresses itself in love. The essence of Christianity is faith. And when faith takes hold in your life and you understand this gospel, the love that God had to put Christ on the cross in your place, um, Love becomes the expression of faith in our life. The only thing that matters, Paul says. I love it when the Bible says, look, this is the only thing that matters. Faith that expresses itself in love. I'm like, wow, I can get my head around that. that is, you know, just one sentence, all right, I can, you know, that's helpful. And then he says in the, in the 12th verse, he says, I wish that those who are trying to unsettle you would emasculate themselves. <laughs> He's talking about the circumcision thing, and Paul's like, I'm like, Paul, calm down. You're going to have a heart attack. Take it easy. Paul's ballistic about this because if you lose the purity of the gospel, you lose everything. You lose your connection to God. And so it's so significant and so important to understand uh, how important it is to embrace uh, the gospel. It's so precious. It's so pure. It's so all of God. It's, it's so divine. It's holy. And to attempt to change it means it becomes no gospel at all. 
And uh, anything that's added or anything that's taken away uh, actually reverses it, is the, what the word actually means there in uh, chapter 1 and verse 7. And so because God accepts us and because God loves us and because God forgives us first, solely on the basis of what Christ has accomplished, and then God helps us to follow him and changes us uh, on the basis of the cross, on the basis of the gospel. Uh, God's love and acceptance and forgiveness are based purely on his grace. It's uh, our experience of that love and acceptance and forgiveness that then begins to compel us to respond to God by loving him back. That we're not focused on what we can bring to the table. We're focused on how much God loves us that that love begins to transform us. And that's why the number one commandment in the Bible, Jesus said you can take all the commandments, they all come down to this. Learn to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving God back because of him first loving us is the order of things. If you change the gospel and you try to add something to the gospel, you will focus only on what you bring to the table. You'll miss the whole power of where the power for a transformed life comes from because it comes from this great good news, this gospel news that God so loved you that he sacrificed the best thing he had, his son, in your place. This was a substitutionary sacrifice. And so it's our experience of that good news that compels us then to love God back. And it's in that, it's, it's out of love, not fear, that the Christian life is lived. It's because I love God, I want to please him. It's not because I'm scared he's going to get me if I mess up. And uh, this is so crucial, it's so empowering, but so many people just miss this. And so many people think, you know, you know, oh, I messed up and now God's getting me and now, you know, uh, he's mad at me because of this, that, and the other thing. And they don't understand the gospel. And it's what Paul is warning us against here in Galatians. And so what happened in Paul's day still happens today. And uh, as soon as the gospel gets out there, it gets infected by foreign ideas. Uh, and as I said, in Paul's day, it was the Jewish people who emphasized and insisted on the gospel uh, that that they combined the gospel with their own ways of thinking and uh, what they had had from their own history and so forth. And so in addition to the gospel, to be acceptable to God, you had to you know, be circumcised and follow the ceremonial traditions, the dietary things, and so on and so forth. And Paul, who was Jewish, he was very Jewish. Paul says, I'm the best Jew you've ever, you'll ever meet. I've kept all the laws. I've done all this stuff. I've And then I met Christ. And I realized there's a different message that's coming from heaven about being reconciled to God. And uh, the minute that we uh, attempt to add anything, we destroy that message. And so in Galatians, Paul fights this tendency with everything he has. Uh, because to lose the gospel is to lose everything. It's to lose our only connection with God. And so when you understand Galatians, you understand that the gospel is radically different than any other message uh, that you will hear any place, and it affects our lives in every way. It changes everything about the way we live. The gospel um, uh, affects our sense of security, our sense of security. It, it, it enables us to live securely because the gospel is totally dependent on what God has done, not on us. And it enables us to live securely, to live at ease, to live relaxed. It enables us to, you know, even in the worst circumstances we know, uh, that God loves us. 
And uh, when we try to interpret the circumstances of our lives, we, we have this context in which we have this confidence that, wow, if God would not hold back his son, then he's not going to hold back anything that's good for us. And we can trust him. And so the, the gospel creates this kind of sense of security. The gospel, I think, also creates a sense of significance in our lives. We're freed from having to prove ourselves. It's about God loving us into significance. If the God of the universe loves me enough to sacrifice his son, what more do I need in terms of being significant? And, and the love of God loves us into this place where I am significant and I have a place to belong and I have an identity and I, I have a future that he's uh, creating for me and, and so on and so forth. It's about God loving us into significance. And the gospel also affects our ability to be satisfied in life. Um, it touches every area of our life. The gospel is pregnant with hope because it's full of eternal life, eternal life. Our life here is, you know, 100 years max, pretty much. Every once in a while, somebody makes it past the 100. But for the most part, you know, most of us will check out by the time we're 100. But the life that God has promised us is forever. And it's far richer than anything this life has to offer. And so, and it's based on the gospel. It's based on what Jesus won for us. You can't lose it once you get it. Once we become adopted into the family of God and he becomes our father and Jesus becomes our brother and the spirit becomes our source of life, you know, you can't lose that. We have a couple of kids and no matter what they do, I can't lose them. They're still my kids. Isn't that right? I mean, no, you know, sometimes you want to disown them, but you know what? You can't. They're still your kids. And when we become God's kids, you know, they're, we're his forever and it creates this sense of security, the sense of significance, the sense of being satisfied in life, what's pregnant with hope, the gospel. And the gospel then becomes how God transforms our lives. Actually, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, we were saved in hope. You know that whole section where he talks about hope? If hope that's seen isn't really hope anymore because you've already got it, but we are saved in hope. Like a big part of our salvation is hope. The three non-negotiable absolutes of the Christian life are faith, hope, and love faith, hope, and love show up in your life if Christ shows up. If the Spirit of God gets in your life, faith, hope, and love uh, will always show up. They're the three, I call them the non-negotiable uh, absolutes. And so the gospel then becomes how God begins to transform our lives. It's not about trying harder. Galatians is not about being a better Christian. It's about believing deeper. It's about believing deeper. Remember, I always like to say that what you believe is the single most important thing about your life because what you believe will change how you think. And what you believe will change how you feel. And what you believe and what you think and what you feel will change what you do. But it starts with what we believe. And if we don't believe the truth, we'll just be a little bit off in all of our thinking and all of our feelings and in all of our choices. And the Christian life won't work. But when we believe the truth, and that's what this uh, Galatians is all about. It's like fighting for the truth and not allowing it to get polluted. It's more about uh, living out the implications of the gospel. It's not surprising that in Galatians chapter 5, we have a great statement about the spirit, the second advocate's work in our life. It's when, you know, don't live by the flesh, live by the spirit. Don't live by your efforts, live by listening to the spirit, allowing the spirit to bring the implications of the gospel home to you. So that it changes the way you think and the way you feel and the choices that you make as life goes on. And I think, you know, uh, if, if, if the truth is known, um, what should happen in the Christian life is that the gospel, this 
uh, message of reconciliation through the cross should increase in its value to you as you go on in life. Like once you become a Christian, like if you're, if you're walking along in life, right, and you're kind of going along and all of a sudden somebody tells you about Christ. I, I met a guy yesterday, a lawyer, and he was telling me, you know, he's got a friend who's telling him about Christianity. And so he's finally opened his uh, heart up to explore because he comes from a lot of different backgrounds. And, and uh, all of a sudden it's starting to make sense to him. So he's walking along, and um, let's say he becomes converted. He becomes convinced. He embraces the gospel. Two things are going to happen in your life if you're really a Christian, and the Spirit of God gets inside of you. And Christ, One thing that's going to happen is you're going to realize, you're going to grow in your awareness of how holy God is. And by holy, I mean different. He's not just another one of us. You know, we're always tempted to think God is just another one of us. But if you read the Bible, if you pray, if you listen to other Christians, if you do some Bible studies, read some books, and so on, as you go along in the Christian life, you're going to discover God is very, 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 very different than we are. So you're going to become aware of the holiness of God. The second thing that always happens in the Christian life is you also become aware of the sinfulness or the otherness in your life. And so when you start out in the Christian life, you think, oh, I'm so glad for the cross because, you know, I needed that. I needed somebody to fill the gap between who I am and who God is. But as you go along in the Christian life, that gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you need a gospel, a cross that's so big that it can reach God all the way down to where you are as you become more and more aware of how far away you really are from God. Now, remember, God made us to be like him. The Bible says in Genesis that when God made man, he made him in his own image, in his own likeness. We were made to be like God. And when you go along in the Christian life, what happens is you realize, wow, God is like this and I'm like this. And I need this gospel message, what Jesus did on this cross, to bridge a gap that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So that as I discover things about myself and discover things about God, I can relax because the cross is big enough to cover that gap. And I find myself always going back to the gospel and say, I am so glad that my salvation is totally dependent on what you did. And what you did is perfect. And it's able to cover even my worst sins that I discover about myself. And it gets bigger as we go along in the Christian life. And if in your Christian life what's getting bigger is, you know, your own efforts and I need to do this and I need to do that to please God versus I am so thankful for Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. Then we're missing it. It's such a gift. It's so pure. But it picks up bugs because it's so different than anything else you'll hear anyplace else in the world. And that's what Paul is trying to defend here. Let me uh, read from Peter, uh, the way Peter talks about this. Um, in Second Peter chapter 1, let me just read a couple of verses here, starting at the third verse. Um, here's how Peter writes about this. He says, God's divine power. God's power, right? The power of God is in the gospel. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I don't have to bring anything to the table. I can't bring anything to the table. God's power has provided everything for life and godliness, Peter says. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 
It's not about trying harder. It's about believing deeper. Believing deeper. Say the knowledge. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds through understanding what's actually happened here, which is why the second advocate, the Holy Spirit, comes to help us. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Have you ever thought uh, the way that we grow in the Christian life is by um, believing the promises of God? I mean, the Bible's full of promises that God makes, and God just asks us, believe me. <laughs> believe me. Just believe me. Believe the promises. The deeper you believe the promises of God, the more your life changes because you eventually begin to act as if the promises are really true because they are. And uh, so God's, the Bible's full of these promises, and God has granted to us this very great and precious promises so that through them, listen, you can become a partaker of the divine nature. By embracing the promises of God, by believing the promises of God, you become a partaker of God's nature. It gets into you. How does the Spirit of God get into your life? Well, when we take these promises... Uh, home to heart, and the Holy Spirit helps us, we become partakers of God's nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. The power of God rises over our natural uh, tendencies towards sinfulness, right? And for this very reason, Paul says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brother affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, when that's what's happening in your life, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Um, and so on and so forth. So here's God who's provided everything for us that we need in the gospel. And as the gospel grows in its significance and importance to us, um, we become partakers, really, of God's nature. Uh, Martin Luther, who you know was uh, uh, in the 16th century a church reformer, uh, kind of the hero of the church reformers. And uh, here's a statement that he makes in his commentary on Galatians. He says, there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no middle ground between the gospel and us trying to earn anything before God. There's no middle ground. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. Remember Martin Luther took on the whole Roman Catholic Church when you could by penances and how to do the seven sacraments to add to what Christ did and all of that. Um, he said, if you don't build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own works and your own efforts. There's no middle ground. You're either all of one or all of the other, right? And it's just what uh, Paul is saying here in Galatians. And so I'm, I'm so glad Galatians is in the Bible. The gospel is such a radical, and people are always trying to normalize or accommodate it to our own understanding which then destroys it and takes the, um, the power out of it. And so, um, I think I'm out of time again, but uh, verses 3 to 5 really contain the gospel. And I just want to point out in closing that um, 
in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Galatians, um, one of the reasons that God does it like he does it is because he's that good and that he deserves the glory for the gospel. The minute you try to add something to the gospel, you're trying to take some glory for yourself. You know, It's what God did, but God's thing isn't sufficient. God's thing isn't complete. God's thing isn't perfect. And God says, no, my salvation that I've provided for you is perfect. It's complete. It's, it's all you need. It's of me. And I did it for you because I love you. And for all of eternity, I should receive the glory for it. And so when Paul writes to these Galatian people, he says, look, when you mess with the gospel, you take away glory from God. And so once we grab the gospel, you and I are people who are so filled with praise and worship and wanting to glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God anyway? Sometimes I don't like these churchy words. To glorify God just means to make them look good. If you glorify somebody, you're just trying to make them look good. We're going to hear from Vicki Beattie uh, in a minute. And Vicki Beattie has given her life uh, over in Africa to work with some uh, leprosy uh, patients. And uh, on behalf of Christ, you know, why are you here, Vicky? Well, because, you know what, God is so good that I just came here to share this good news with you. It's so important for us to understand that the glory of God is what's at stake when we pollute the gospel. God, God's glory goes away. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, again, we pause and thank you for all your goodness to us and ask your... Uh, I'm so thankful for the book of Galatians, and I just pray, Father, that you'll help the understanding of the message of Galatians to sink into us in such a way that we'll be alerted to any of those that the, the idiot lights on our mental dashboard will go off when somebody's trying to either add or take away from the pure good news of the gospel, because it's that that gives us our security and our significance. It's that one way that you've provided for us to be reconciled with you that gives us all our confidence. And, uh, and it's that, Father, that gives you the glory. You are a great God. You paid a huge price when you substituted Jesus in our place on the cross so that we could be reconciled to you and enjoy your love and your acceptance and your forgiveness, not just now, but for all of eternity. We thank you and praise you for the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.